Oh, hey there. It is I, the person who will force obscure horror movie trailers on drunk people at 3am at a party I probably wasn't really invited to to start with. Your favourite spooky host, Cammy Deadleaves, ready for episode 4 of Spooky Rama. <laughs> Today we're going to be covering 1986 Critters. This film is so full of fun. It really brings back awesome memories for me. And honestly, if you don't have a good time watching Critters, I don't know. I don't know what I can do for you. Anyway, so it was released on the 11th of April 1986. And it was director debut for Stephen Herrick. I actually haven't checked what else he has directed, but it was his first film. It was co-written by Dominic Muir. I'm not sure I pronounced that right. It's spelled M-U-I-R. And Don Keith Hopper. It stars Dee Wallace, who is honestly one of my favourite horror actress, I think. Like, she's not a scream queen like Jamie Lee Curtis. She's not a final girl also. To me, she's the mom, like me and my flatmate and best friend in Paris when I was still living in Paris called Will. We were sharing that flat and we were used to watch a lot of Haiti's horror. And we were used to always say Dee Wallace is just the absolute horror mom because she's the mom in E.T. She's the mom in Critters. I'm sure she's the mom in another horror film as well. And she, she just has such mum vibe. Oh, she's the mum in Cujo. Of course, she is. She also is the main role in The Howling and many other things. She's been in Lords of Salem most recently, like in most recent horror. Um, anyway, she's done loads of horror film and she's just amazing. She just has super mum vibes. I love you, dear Wallace. I love you. Who else is in there? There's Terence Mann, there's Scott Grimes, Billy Green Bush, M. Hammett Walsh. The special effects have been done by the Shiodo brothers, who, if you listen to episode two on Killer Clowns from Out of Space, that's them who directed Killer Clowns from Out of Space. And they worked, they were specialized on animatronics, puppetry, uh, claim animation as well. And... I'll give a lot of info in episode two about them if with their background. So if you want a bit more info about what they did, you can go back to episode two. But they did work on Critters. Uh, it's one of their main films. And it's pretty awesome. Like the, the special effect in there. I mean, there's different type of special effect in Critters. But the Critters themselves are amazing. I cannot stress how much I want a Critter. I mean, I, I would. I would. I would just like film a house with critters if they weren't so high maintenance to feed because that would be a nightmare. My landlord would literally never allow that. 
running time is 85 minutes, which for that kind of movie I find is pretty ideal because it's not too long. You wouldn't want it longer than that. It's just kind of perfect. It's short enough that you don't get bored and you don't run out of steam, but it's not too short either. So it's pretty perfect, I'd say. Uh, the budget of the film is $3 million and the box office for US only is $13.2 million. So I'd say it's a pretty successful film when it comes to box office anyway. Critters is a franchise, so you have four Critters films and a series released on Shudder called Critters, A New Binge. I haven't watched that. I've watched the four films, but I haven't watched the series yet. I intend to watch it. I don't know if it's good or bad. I don't know, but I'll watch it anyway. And apparently there's a 2019 reboot titled Critters Attack, according to Wikipedia. But I haven't seen anything. I knew it was prepared, but I'm not sure the project actually went anywhere because I haven't seen anything. But if there is, I apologize, maybe there is, but I haven't watched it. I only watched the first, the first fourth film. I might be covering Critters 2 and Critters 3 down the line because they're just great and absurd and I kind of love them. I have to remember Critters 4, I don't even really remember it. I, it just didn't really leave an impression on me. Um, but Critters 2, I remember there is this old Easter egg hunt and everything <laughs> that is really worth talking about. So I might be covering that, especially with Easter coming. And Critters 3, if anything, it's the first film with Leonardo DiCaprio in it. It's tiny in it. And if I remember, he plays the part of some kind of like a bit of a little shit, really. And I think he takes place in New York in a building apartment. I think is New York. So yeah, I might be covering Critters 3 as well. But anyway, if I don't, I thought it'd be nice to mention it now. So where's the plot of Critters? Again, I realized that it's the third time, actually, that I talk about uh, some horror with aliens, basically, that comes out of space. There was killer clowns from out of space, there was The Thing, and now Critters. So next week, I'm definitely not doing anything that comes out of space. The plot is Critters are prisoner from an intergalactic maximum security prison, and they manage to escape and crash on Earth. And the thing with Critters is basically they eat. That's all they do, they eat. But So that's a problem in itself, okay? They will eat everything. But to stop this disaster, the basically the big boss of the maximum security prison sends bounty hunters after the critters to, you know, kill them or grab them, whatever. So on top of dealing with the critters, poor humans have also have to deal with bounty hunters that are out of this world and all of that makes a mix that is just so special and that's definitely why you should watch Critter. I mean, if I haven't sold it yet, I mean, carry on listening because there's a lot of really good selling points here. Let's have a quick look at the trailer. Of all the planets in the galaxy, they chose ours. They hide 
in small places. This phone is dead. What? They like the dark. Jay, any luck? Just a minute. There's nothing cute about them. They've come a long way, and they're hungry. Okay, I strongly disagree about the fact that they're not cute. I haven't watched the trailer before talking before about how cute they were and how much I wanted one. And now I watch the trailer and I am shocked. It's like, oh, they're really not cute. They are the cutest thing if you are somebody like me. Cutest. A lot of teeth, but cute. There's fur, okay? Anyway, uh, the trailer is pretty good, actually. I think it's pretty scary. I cut part of the trailer because after that there's loads of noise and loads of fight scene. And if you don't watch it, there is no interest hearing it on the podcast. But feel free to go and have a look at it. Otherwise, I thought the ambience of it and everything was pretty cool. They didn't give too much either. Uh, you see a little bit of critters in the trailer, but not that much. I don't know. I just thought it was a really cool trailer. I'm, I'm happy with that. What else can I tell you before we jump into the actual movie? I can tell you that it's been promoted at the time as an answer to Gremlins, which came out in 1984. So Critters is 1986, Gremlins is 1984. So it was thought it was an answer to Gremlins. And New Line Cinema definitely played on it at the time to promote it. But it really wasn't, because Herreg, the director, began a friendship with the one of the writers of Critters, Muir, which I still don't know how to pronounce, uh, while he was working as assistant editors on City Limits in 1985. And that's when Herreg was looking for his ne next project, and Muir offered him his screenplay for Critters, which he had written three years earlier than that. So three years before 85, and Gremlins was out in 84. So after working on the script, he pitched it to show film because of an existing working relationship to get advice on how to get the film made in which their executives agreed to develop it. So nothing to do with Gremlins. There's also another story that says Herrick, the director, developed the idea because of a nightmare he had as a child but I don't really know how that fits in I can't verify this information because I don't know him personally and also with what I just said about Moe um, offering him the screenplay I don't think that's true I think he just like wrote this screenplay it was great and then this struck a friendship he started developing it but regardless nothing to do with gremlins Actually, because the director got a bit annoyed that he kept being compared to Gremlins, because Gremlins was hugely successful, uh, rightfully, because it's a great film. So I think everybody was kind of riding that wave, and New Line Cinema just uh, thought, like, oh, great, we will ride that wave as well, and it will help us um, promote Critters, which it probably did. But it's a bit unfair when you worked on something as an original idea and then everyone including the distribution is like yay look it's like similar to gremlins so i think the director got a little bit annoyed at that um, also they actually rewritten the screenplay 
twice to avoid some similarities with gremlins. So they really weren't that keen on getting, you know, similarities. So that's one thing I can tell you about critters. What else can I tell you? I can tell you that Charles Shodo, one of the Shodo brothers, based the design of the critters, or crites, as they call it in the film, on the Looney Tunes character Taz, the Tasmanian de devil. And yeah, I mean, it becomes pretty obvious. I did not know that, but when I watched the film again, it's very obvious. Also, Corey Burton, who voices the critters, came up with their language, which he describes um, in the interview as combining elements of French, ooh la la, French, I'm honored, and Japanese. Um, I did not hear it, but apparently that's what it is. I quite like the way they talk anyway. I can also tell you that as a student in Paris, I went through a phase of playing this old Critters box set over and over again. And you know when you fall asleep and the divini menu just goes on and on and on and on and on again in circle all night long. I did that with critters and the divini menu was just like four little critters almost singing and just making little weird noises like and yeah, I had that all night long and it was stuck in my head for ages. And to this day, I still remember that. That was over 10 years ago. But here you go. Welcome to my life. Okay, let's talk about the actual film now. So when the film begins, it's into space. And you see a prison on an asteroid. And it's a maximum security prison called Sector 17. And you hear a communication between somebody who's piloting a ship and the prison and the guy asked him why I thought he was 10 and the guy from the ship already tells him that they had to kill two critters to make food last longer because they eat so much so that's the first thing that is established in the movie is that they eat a lot but yeah they get permission to land but something happened the Krites, the Krites, take over the ship and manage to escape. All this opening scene is really, really cheesy. You don't see the critters for that opening scene. Uh, but it's so, like, I didn't remember. I've seen this film loads, but when I rewatched it last week, I always forgot how cheesy the space bits are. They're not badly done. They just... I don't know, they're more like a, a B-movie and like like a series almost. Um, and I literally wrote, because there's the guy, the main guy who controlled the prison, looks so weird. And I literally wrote, what the hell is this godforsaken alien shower cap? Because he's bold and he's weird. Anyway, there's like bad lasers, everything is happening, everything is going down, it's super cheesy, and the crites escape. So the main guy, the guy with a horrible shower cap, has to call bounty hunters to go after the crites. So the bounty hunters, there's two of them, they have super like leathery Mad Max coat on. Again, very cheesy, but this kind of works, if I'm honest. And they have blank faces. 
they, they just have, you know, like Slender Man, they have nothing on. Um, so it is said that the critters stole the ship and they are plenty of fuel and they can go pretty much anywhere in the galaxy. Bold shower cap guy also asked the bounty hunters to not be too destructive. So you can assume that in the previous mission, they have been, you know, pretty heavy handed on the method. And it will definitely make sense later. After all this intro scene, you have the opening credits, which are very short. It's not unlike the thing, actually. It's just the word critters appearing in space. And then you switch to a little quiet town, rural, windmill, typical farm, America. I love when they do that in films because everything is so typical and so cliche. You don't believe in it one second, yet it really works. It's a lot like in Killer Clowns from Out of Space. It's just, you know, this town does not exist. Absolutely not. But you still go with it because it's cool. It, it makes it safe in a way. Because, you know, some films, some horror film, it really works because everything is so credible. You actually wonder, could this happen to me? In films like Critters, you know this not this is not going to happen. You, you're safe. You're safe. So anyway, little town. And it's a morning. And you see Dee Wallace, the perfect mom, the perfect housewife. She has the perfect farm wife dress on and she's making breakfast for a family. And you see Brad, the son, who is probably about, ooh, I want to say about 11, 12, something like that. And he's heating up a thermometer under his lamp to try to skip school. And that's a reference to E.T. Because in E.T., where Dee Wallace is also a mom, Elliot warms his thermometer on his lamp to skip school and it works in E.T. But this time it's not going to work. Dee Wallace is not going to be fooled. But that's a little Easter egg there. So she's making breakfast and breakfast is perfect. Um, the husband wears red flannel shirt. He wears dungarees. He's the typical farm guy. And, you know, they have one daughter who's probably like 16, 17, one son, a cat. It's sunny. Everything is perfect. Side note, the cat is called Chewy. Yeah, like Chewbacca in Star Wars. So that's a little reference there. Other side note, in the French version, which I watched many, many years before the original version, the cat's name is Chevet. What is Chevet, you may ask? Chevet in France translates to bedside table. Yeah, let that sink in, bedside table. I can't even express how confused I was for many years. And I'm not the only one. I'm not the only one of that name. Like, why? Anyway, back to the story. So that's our main family introduced. And now the film is going to introduce some other main characters. So it switched to a scene in a police station. Again, a bit like in Killer Clans from Outer Space. Super small town police station with... One woman at the phone and everything, and the sheriff of. And, you know, it's, everything follows its course. You can tell not many things happened. And she says, 
the woman at the desk that Charlie is sleeping it off because he's drunk. Charlie is one of the main character, apparently he's a regular and he sleeps it off in the cell quite a lot. So Harvey's going to see Charlie and Charlie is lovable, but clearly not all quite there. And he's completely rumbling about aliens and he thinks he gets messages through his feelings. I mean, you know, fair, maybe, maybe it's true, I don't know. But apparently that's not the first time he says stuff like that. So obviously the sheriff is like dismissing him and sending him back to the family we've just been introduced to because is working as help on the farm in this family. Then he cuts back to the bounty hunters who have located the critters and they know they have crash landed on Earth. So they, that's where they're going. So they are watching loads and loads of stuff about Earth, about Earth's history, about everything in fast forward, that they're just learning the thing really, really fast. They also have to take human appearance to blend in because you can't just go in on Earth with a blank face. You have to blend in a little bit. So when they are looking all of the, you know, Earth videos, uh, they have to pick somebody, a human, that they can look like and take the appearance off. So one of the bounty hunters watches a music video of the song Power of the Night. You will hear this song a lot in the film. <laughs> and this song is performed by Terence Mann, who performs this song only for the film. It's just, it exists only in the film. The video is typical rock pop, 80s, big hair, everything. Let's listen to the song for a second. Oh yeah, power of the night. This gets stuck in my head quite often, a lot more than I would admit. So... One of the bounty hunters looks at Johnny Steele performing Power of the Night and he thinks, hmm, this is quite a sexy human being. I could do with that. So he decides to morph into Johnny Steele, the pop star. And to be honest, this effect is really, really cool. It's like reverse melting. So it builds on a skull and muscles and everything. It's really cool. Back to the farm after the transformation, Charlie, who was sleeping drunk in a cell, is hanging out with the son of the family instead of doing some work, apparently. So the son, Brad, is blowing things up. And actually, second reference to Star Wars, after the cat being called Chewie, is blowing up, I think it's a next wing, is blowing up, painted silver. So, yeah, I don't know if it's a bit of a of a dig at Star Wars, but yeah, he's blowing up Star Wars ships. While Brad is taking part in this very healthy activity of blowing things up, come on, we've all done it. If you are born in the 80s, you've done it. Charlie is trying to fix Brad's slingshots, which I think he broke, and he's still rambling about aliens. Okay, 1948, a Missouri housewife is kidnapped by six little men with orange heads on her way to the laundromat. April, the big sisters, then arrives in the farm in the car with a boyfriend who is really presented as a very douchey boyfriend. 
turnout in the film is not even that bad, but oh my god, the first impression is so bad. He arrives driving a porch. Is it, she says earlier that he's from New York. So, you know, she's uh, really happy that he's from New York and not from a shitty little town, apparently. And he drives a porch and the car plate says, too great, to number two, J-R number eight, T. Oh, yeah. And around the too great is written, don't give a shit where your other car is. Wow. I mean, like, <laughs> you know, definitely douchey boyfriend. So they get out of the car and the dad is not best impressed by Steve. And Steve, <laughs> I actually wrote, oh, my God, he has a ponytail. Just to make it better, he has a curly ponytail at that. And Charlie is still trying to fix the slingshot and he accidentally used the slingshot to shoot April in the butt. And she turns around and obviously she thinks it's Brad. And that's when you realize that Brad and Charlie actually have a great friendship, even though they have very different ages. Because Brad takes the blame for Charlie. He takes the slingshot out of Charlie's hands and runs away and April chases after him. Eventually, Brad really takes the blame when he's confronted by his parents and gets grounded, sent to his bedroom without dinner. So, yeah, I mean, he's a pretty good ally to Charlie, really, because Charlie could have, I don't know, maybe lost his job or anyway, get in trouble. But it wasn't the case. So Brad is clearly a great kid. I, I really like Brad. He plays Power of the Night in his bedroom as well. As soon as he goes there and he's grounded, he push the button of his really cool record player and of course it's power of the night that is playing it will get stuck in your head i promise i just refuse to be the only one so what does brad do when he's grounded in his bedroom listening to power of the night you will never guess he makes explosives again yeah because maybe this kid has a problem. I don't know. I don't know. But all I know is it will come handy. So um, it's forgiven. Downstairs, April totally invited Steve, the boyfriend from New York, to dinner. Whether her parents wanted it or not. But I guess they're polite. So he's invited to dinner. And it's kind of awkward. It's really awkward. It's kind of silent. And yeah, yeah it's not good. April drags Steve away from the table uh, she's actually a lot more naughty than he is like I said earlier the first impression of Steve are pretty terrible but he's actually quite alright he just gives compliment to Dee Wallace about the cooking and everything and he's kind of shy and <laughs> she takes him to the barn I wonder what she wants to do in the barn Brad sees them goes into the barn from his bedroom and he's like oh april i'm gonna get you of course steve is allergic to straw because okay steve you're from new york we get it you're not around straw a lot so he complains about that but that's that made me laugh so brad sneaks off his bedroom by his window on a tree because he's well decided to get revenge on april for getting him grounded it cuts to Charlie, who's cycling on the road in the middle of the night, well, in the evening anyway, um, having a drink, and there's a UFO that passes by. 
and it obviously sees it and panicked, throws his drink, starts cycling. But the interesting thing in this scene as well is that it's the first time you see the sign of the town. So the town is called Grover's Bend, and it's a direct reference to uh, the big prank Orson Welles did, War of the Worlds, in 1938. So for those who are not familiar with that, Orson Welles did a radio broadcast and he reported that aliens were landed in Grover's Mill, a town called Grover's Mill, which didn't exist. But it was performed so well that tons of people panicked. Like, listeners believed it. It's never been done before. And it was like the first fake news, I guess. And so people really panicked, resident in the area, like completely freaked out, mistaking a water tower for the UFO, and they started to shoot it. It was like a complete shamble. He got in a bit of trouble for that. And so the town Grover's Bend is a reference to Grover's Hill and to the Wall of the Worlds by Orson Welles. There you go. Back to the farm, you see Dee Wallace relaxing on the sofa, reading a book, but with the TV on, because, you know, that's what you do. You read a book, but you leave the TV on. And what comes on on TV? You'll never guess. Power of the Night. She looks up her book and watches the video for a little bit. And this scene really doesn't need to be here, if I'm honest. I find her face hilarious in this scene because she looks up her book, look up Johnny Steele, and there's nothing showing. She just stays really blank. And I don't know why this scene is here. I guess it's to show that she knows who Johnny Steele is. That's the only thing I can think of. Jay, the dad of the family, also heard the UFO crash. So he goes outside and catches Brad, who's still in the tree trying to catch April, who obviously saw the UFO as well. So it gives him a little bit of a bulking. Brad, what the hell are you doing up there? Dad! He's... Uh... The earthquake! Threw me clear out of my room! I could not believe it! Oh, cut the bull, boy. Get your butt down here. It cuts to the first scene that you actually see the critters who have just crashed, and they're assessing the damage in their ship. And this speaks between each other, and the film features subtitles to translate what they say. So remember, it's supposed to be a mix between French and Japanese. <laughs> they basically assess that their ship is out of order, so they wonder, what now? And <laughs> the subtitles read, food! Back to Jay and Brad, who decides to go and find out what's happening. So they both go together and they find an eaten cow. And I guess he plays a lot on the, I don't know if it's the urban legend, I guess. All the alien abduction when they always say there's mutilated cattle and everything. So they find a really badly eaten cow and Jay sends Brad home and they both decide to go home. It cuts to... One of the deputies that we haven't seen really that much in the film uh, is in his car and he's going back to the station and he crashes because <laughs> we learn in this scene that critters roll. They just chuck themselves into a little bowl and they roll. Do you remember those, um, those teddy bears, the popples? I loved the popples when I was a kid and you could just like sort of 
turn them around on themselves and turn them into a bull. That's exactly what it is. It, the critters are popples, just less pastel colors and more spikes and teeth. That's basically it. So he avoids the rolling critter and crashes, gets out of his car, and the critter throws a spike in his knee because they're a bit like porcupine. They have spikes, but they can throw them. They can release them. And obviously, those spikes are poisonous because otherwise it wouldn't be that funny. So the deputy gets spike on the knee, doesn't really know what happens, and he gets dragged under his car. And we can safely assume, I think, that it's going to be eaten. And there is a great transition right at this moment to Ellen, who is Dee Wallace, who is dropping food using a food dispenser, you know, this American food dispenser in the sink. And yeah, great transition with the deputy getting completely slaughtered. It cuts to one critter point of view from outside the house. And you can see he's coming near the house and he sees the cat, scares the cat, makes some noise. So Ellen hears that, looks at the window, but it's nighttime, so she doesn't see much. And eventually she just sees a pair of red eyes by the window and scream. At that moment, Jay and Brad are coming back. And so she tells them she saw something outside and everything. Jay tries to call the, the sheriff because he just found a dead cow and... Everything seems to be a little bit intense, but he realized the phone is dead. And just after realizing they have no phone and no way to contact anybody, their light turns off like they died on them. So Jay decides to go and check the electric box in a basement. He goes downstairs, um, his wife and Brad, the son, stays up because, you know, he's the man. So he's going to go and check the wires. He realized um, downstairs, he realizes that the wires are all chewed up and there's noise on the shelf. That's, I guess that's a little bit of a scary scene if you don't know. Um, and there's a critter on the shelf. He gets attacked. He gets a spike in the neck. So he gets a little bit woozy and they drag him back upstairs. So he's not, he's not dead or anything. He's just been like sent a spike on his neck. It cuts back to the bounty hunters that we haven't seen for a while. And remember, one of the bounty hunters took the appearance of Johnny Steele, Power of the Night, and the other one still hasn't. He still has a blank face. And basically, the first bounty hunter tells him to hurry up and find something. And he answers, nothing likes me, which I thought was a bit weird. But yeah, it makes sense. Uh, so he still hasn't found any appearance, but they lent. And they see the they find the dead deputy car. So he decides to take the appearance of the dead deputy. But when I mean dead deputy, it, it's blood and everything. It obviously looks a bit like a corpse, a fresh corpse, okay, but still a corpse. So it doesn't look too good, really. Talking about characters we haven't seen in a while, remember April? So April is still getting naughty with Steve in the barn. Except, of course, a critters arrive behind Steve's. And poor Steve, who actually wasn't that bad, gets eaten. Completely eaten. This one definitely dies. There's not many people who die in Critter, actually. Most people get injured, but Steve totally gets it. Uh, April screams, of course. And Brad hears April. And he decides to go and save her because it's a sister, his sister. And Brad throws a cherry bomb. And the critters eat it and dies so 
I guess at the end, making explosives in your bedroom was a useful skill to get. This scene was actually quite complicated to film because they had to coordinate the critter taking the cherry bomb, swallowing it, and his eyes getting wide and his stomach bulging and him exploding. So it was a whole thing because they were puppets and animatronics. So special effects coordinator Chuck Stewart, um, he hired Joseph Lombardi as a consultant for this film because it's also on the first floor of a barn. So dealing with explosive in a barn can be potentially dangerous. So they rigged the second floor ceiling with primer cord that carried an explosive charge inside it. They had the Los Angeles County Fire Department on standby and the crew waited until 5 a.m. to detonate the explosion because there was quite a lot of wind, so they had to wait until the wind died down. Thankfully, it was all successful and did manage to avoid any type of bushfire or anything like that. So, yay, great. But it was a complicated scene and a little bit risky. From then on, the pace of the film picks up. There's quite a lot of action, which is really cool. It makes it like really interesting. Uh, Charlie, who was also the UFO and was on his bicycle, uh, went to the police station to try to warn the sheriff, Harvey. And the secretary tells him that he's not there and he's probably at the bowling alley. So we assume that's where he goes. The bounty hunters who arrived on Earth crash into a church, like crash as in, you know, destroy the doors and everything, into a Baptist church in full service. It's quite, it's really funny, actually. And they just arrive, destroy the door, and they go, We're here for the Christ. As you can imagine, the poor people in the church have no idea what the crites are or what those main ones. So it's pretty panicky in there. Remember the second bounty hunter uh, took the appearance of the dead deputy as well? And people recognize the guy, but they just don't understand why he's dressed in leather and have a gun and ask for the crites. So it's all very panicky and the priest tries to you know, calm them down and talk to them and tell them to go also. But obviously that doesn't work. So the second bounty hunter, the one who's the deputy, decides to take the appearance of the priest right there in the middle of everyone, in the middle of a church. So people are getting even more panicky. And the answer from the bounty hunter to this panic is just to carry on shooting because clearly that's their way of communicating, which I'm not mad about, if I'm completely honest. Back at the house, there's still no lights. Jay gets a shotgun because he says it's only a matter of time before they get in. Thankfully, sometimes in horror film, they take ages to take things seriously. But you have to give in to Jay straight away. It's like, no, nah, they're going to get in anyway. So we better get ready. They try to go out and get to their car to escape. But unfortunately, when they arrive to their car, they realize it's been eaten, like a lot of other things by critters. But April realized that she still has Steve's car, old departed Steve. So on top of it, they could go out in style in a porch. They go to Steve's car, but unfortunately, there's already a critter inside. They get chased back in the house by rolling critters. Remember the popples? Yeah, the 80s popples. Unfortunately, 
earlier when they left the house, we saw that the front door locked behind them. They have like a sort of latch and it's locked. So when they arrive at the door, they're actually stuck outside with all the critters behind them. Dee Wallace bats one away. So I'll give that to her. She's starting to get badass a little bit. But they still don't know what to do. They're still kind of stuck. Uh, Jay is still kind of out of it because he got poisoned with a spike earlier. So, you know, he's not doing great. And Brad saves the day because remember how he got out of his bedroom by climbing the tree and he got a bit of a bollocking from his dad because of it. Well, now his skill, again, just like with the explosive, it will be useful now. So Brad, think fast, climb the tree, get back into his bedroom and open the door from the inside, saving his family. In the next scene, we see Charlie, who arrived at the bowling alley looking for the sheriff. The sheriff is not there, but Charlie stayed there and he drinks at the bar. Uh, you also see that there is a team, of uh, a bowling team. And clearly Jay is part of them because earlier in the film you see that he has the same shirt. And they all wonder why Jay isn't here actually. And it's interesting that shirt because the logo is a pin in a circle, in a red crossed circle. The pin has a face on it and it's to take on Ghostbuster, on the logo from Ghostbuster. So I think that was really cool. I really like their shirt actually. The bounty hunters also arrive at the bowling alley. And guess how they arrive? They rip the door because, <laughs> because that's what they do. I love it. They walk through the bar and the bowling alley and people start talking about them and making fun of their clothes and everything. And the first bounty hunter goes to one of the bowling ball and grabs it. I think I never got that before, but like now I'm thinking, oh, maybe he thought he was a critter or something similar. He realized it's not a critter, of course. And he throws the ball and explodes all the pins. Like, a really impressive strike. And of course, you have that guy, you know, that guy, who has to ask. They ask again for the Krites. This is exactly the same thing. We want the Krites. And they arrive towards where Charlie is sitting. The second bounty hunter, who is now the priest, transforms into Charlie. And the real Charlie is hiding behind the counter. Um, the second bounty hunter starts shooting at the telly because, I don't know, I think he hasn't really seen the telly before or he just wanted to shoot at something. So all hell is breaking loose and the owner of the bar calls Harvey, who was in bed, the sheriff. I don't know why Charlie didn't call Harvey himself, seeing as he was looking for him, but... The sheriff is being called and things are starting to get out of hand in Grover's Bend. Back at the farm, Jay is still poisoned, so he doesn't look too good. D. Wallace, whose name is Ellen, <laughs> not just D. Wallace, is crying. April looks depressed and Brad kind of takes it on himself to try to make everyone feel better. So it's not the first time in the film that he shows initiative, but more and more he appears that he is the one who really has his stuff together, really. So he goes and hugs his mom and he goes and check on his sister. And we know from the start of the film that they don't always get along. And at the moment as well, like they just fought just before everything happened. 
but we can see that he's really trying to make her feel better and everything. Some critters get into the house through the window. They just crash through the window and through the fireplace. So it was a bit quiet and suddenly, bam, back into the action. And one of them throw a spikes into Dee Wallace's neck. So she gets poisoned as well. They kind of like shuffle upstairs, try to run away upstairs. Brad grabs a shotgun, but he doesn't, I think he doesn't really know how to use it or it's not loaded. I think possibly it's more that it's not loaded. They all run upstairs and Brad throws an oil lamp at the critters behind them, which makes the carpet ignite and we realize they're scared of the fire. Also, one of them get a bit burned and he jumps in the toilet to extinguish the fire. And that's a reference to the ghoulies, which is another film with little creatures. And on the poster of the ghoulies, he comes out of the toilet. Later on in the film, the another critter, I assume, or maybe the same, actually, maybe it's the same one, comes out of the toilet. Again, it's a reference to ghoulies. So that's where they are. They manage to barricade themselves in the bedroom upstairs and they don't really know what to do at that point. They're quite stuck. So, And also, Dee Wallace and Jay are not looking good at all. They're kind of out of order. They can't really do anything because they're a bit poisoned. They're conscious, but just about. So Brad decides to take the risk of leaving the house to get some help. At that point in the film, if you haven't fallen in love with Brad yet, you will because he's such a cool kid. He, he generally is such a cool kid. So he kind of talks it through with his dad a little bit and makes his dad realize super fast that it, it is the only option. Because he's the best, he also leaves the shotgun with his dad and tells him that they will need it more than he would, which is just so nice. I love Brad. So he sets off and goes outside, like really sneaking around the farm. And he sees a big critter by his bike because he wanted to get his bike. So he runs to the barn to escape that big critter. And then in the barn, through a little people, through a hole in the fence, he sees another critter grow. And he realized that the more they eat, the more they grow and they, they become quite big, actually. It cuts back to the rest of the family who stayed barricaded in the bedroom. And Jay, the dad, is started to feel a little bit better. So him and April, the daughter, are trying to find makeshift weapons, while Dee Wallace is just kind of still riding the poison. At that moment, I love this scene because they do a proper 80s montage with music of, and everything <laughs> of the rest of the critters in their house, destroying their house. And it's, it's really funny. There's another reference to eating the scenes, a lot more obvious this time. Like you remember the one with the thermometer, you kind of had to know E.T. and remember that the Wallace is in it and blah, blah, blah. This one is very obvious. It's just an E.T. doll in Brad's room. And one of the critters just takes a malicious pleasure to absolutely destroy the E.T. doll, which really made me laugh. They also eat the goldfish, which is one of the two casualties of the film. I think there's... Oh, no, three. Sorry, the deputy died as well. So, so far, the body count is the deputy, poor Steve... And the goldfish. <laughs> it's kind of sad. Uh, so yeah, this 80s montage is really funny. Brad runs 
he, ra he managed to run away from the farm and he runs into the road and flags a car. And he's lucky because this car is the bounty hunter cars. So he gets in straight away. He recognized Charlie, which he thinks, and Johnny Steele, actually. So he's a bit like, huh, what? But it doesn't matter because at the moment he has other stuff to do. So he tells them what's happening in his house. Obviously, they are bounty hunters, so they know what he's on about. So they ask him, like, where? And he sends them to his house. Back at the farm, things are going down because the big critter, we know there's at least one big critter because Brad saw it grow, managed to break through the barricades, through the door, and you only see his arm at that point, but it's, it's quite a big arm, so you know it's a big critter, and he grabs April. She managed to get out of it, but D. Wallace, who just, who's just recovering from poison, is completely losing it. That is too much for her. She starts screaming. She grabs the shotgun. She is ready, like badass mom from horror film is back. And she comes out of the room and she starts shooting at the critters and she goes... <laughs> so she shoots at them, but she runs out of ammo. It doesn't matter because at that point, their front door completely explodes. Guess who? Of course, it's the bounty hunter because that's their way of opening doors. That's the only way they open doors in this film, by ripping it open or exploding them, sh just shooting. So they all manage to get out of the house. Brad, though, runs back in because he wants to find Chewy, the cat. Yeah, I know, Brad is amazing. Harvey, the sheriff, is waiting outside with his cop car, so they all go back with Harvey. They all go into the car, and you kind of know that they're saved at that point. They, they're safer than before, anyway. So Brad is back inside the house with the bounty hunters who are shooting at all the critters. It's at that point that you have the scene, another scene with the toilet, with the ghoulies, and blah, blah, blah. Harvey tries to get in the house with his pathetic little gun to help out, even though the bounty hunter don't need help, but I guess Harvey don't know that. And he sees Charlie, so the bounty hunter that looks like Charlie still has this appearance. So all the film people are going like, Charlie? Because Charlie is just the drunk of the village and suddenly is this incredible badass. And bounty hunter Charlie just grab Harvey and throws him out of the house because clearly they do not need him. Brad finds Chewie, he finds the cat, so he's about to go out of the house again, but he gets ambushed by the giant critter. By the way, that's the only film of the old franchise when you see a grown critter. You see other stuff in the other films about critters, but it's the only film when you see a grown-up one. So he's getting a bit in trouble with that giant critter, but the bounty hunter saves him by shooting it and he gets back outside safely. When he arrives outside, his mum, Dee Wallace, is screaming. She's hysterical. Harvey's on the floor because April just got taken. So it turned out she's got taken by the giant critters who managed to escape the bounty hunter who shot him. So he just took April and started running for the hills. So they're all like flapping around that they don't really know what to do and they're just screaming and being hysterical. And of course, Brad is the best. So he just takes his bike and he goes after them. The bounty hunter comes out of the house, both of them. 
tried to take back their car, which is broken. So they decide to all go into the cop car. But the family and Harvey are already in the cop car. So it's quite funny, actually, because Harvey is at the front and he gets stuck between the two bounty hunters. So I guess everyone is going after the critters at the end. So they all go after Brad and the critters. Brad on his bike, still chasing the critters, gets crushed into by the real Charlie, who is also on his bike. He's back. Charlie is back. Because he's a drunk and he's a little bit of an idiot, but he's a, he's a brave guy. He's actually a really nice guy. Brad explains to Charlie what's happening and they both follow the critters in April. So the big critter followed by the little critters actually took April inside the ship. Brad tells um, Charlie to stay outside and he goes in to try to find April, who he sees. It's a very small ship, so he sees April unconscious on the floor straight away. And she has a spike in her neck, so we know what that do. So he takes the spikes out and she started to come around a little bit. Brad tries to light one of his massive firecrackers that he keeps getting but he doesn't quite manage to light it and he gets caught by the critters, they see him. So he managed to drag April outside of the ship and they just managed to make it out of the ship, but he drops the firecracker, so he can't kill them like that. Thankfully, Charlie, who was drinking on his bike, <laughs> managed to make a Molotov cocktail out of his bottle of alcohol and throws it in the ship before the door closes. The ship still takes off, and at the same time, the car cop with the bounty hunter and the family arrives where Brad, April, and Charlie's are. So the family is reunited. Of course, they're all very happy, and it starts to look a little bit like a happy hand. The ship that takes off, unfortunately, because the critters are little shit, really, they go straight above their farm and shoots at the farm. So the old farm is exploding. But because of the Molotov cocktails that Charlie threw in their ship, jokes on them and their ship explodes. Ha ha. So the bounty hunter, well, <laughs> their job is done really, except Charlie kind of did their job. But I guess they helped a lot. So it's time for them to leave and, you know, everyone is happy. Brad is a little bit sad to see them leave. So the bounty hunter, who is Johnny Steele, who's clearly the lead bounty hunter, really, gives him a little device and he, he tells Brad, call me. Just, if anything, call me. Which is, I don't know, a little bit flirty, really? No, I'm joking, it's not flirty. Charlie follows the bounty hunter and he's kind of like asking them if they need anybody in their ship or anything. He's basically asking them for a job. He's so desperate because aliens are his life. The scene finishes like that. Ha ha ha. It's the end of the night. Everything is finished. And then he cuts to the next day when they all go back to the destroyed farm with the sheriff. They, the family is in the car with the sheriff. They took him there. And it's a little bit sad because their farm is really destroyed. There's nothing left. It's all rumbles. Except from Shui. Shui made it. The cat made it. So he runs up to Brad and that's really nice. Brad's device that the bounty hunter gives him beeps. So he looks at it. There's only one button that beeps and lights up. So he clicks on it. And 
there is that really cool effect, which is quite simple, but it always works, where everything is done at reverse and the farm rebuilds itself from the rumbles. And for the little funny bit, at the very end, they find Chewie the cat in the mailbox. Ha ha ha, silly Chewie. So you have this very nice, heartwarming feeling at the end of the film. And they also see the bounty hunter's ship going in the sky at the end. So it's all very nice. Uh, the very last bit of the film is the sheriff living in his car, leaving the farm, and just behind the car, once the car leaves, he shows you the inside of the barn. And inside of the barn, you see three little jiggly eggs. <laughs> what are they? Well, that's for Critters number two. That's the end of it. Wide open for a sequel. And like I said earlier, there would be three sequels to this film, plus a series, plus maybe a reboot. What else can I tell you? So Rotten Tomatoes score is 50%, which is really not that great. And I thought it would, honestly, I thought it was really under, underrated. I would I give it a lot more than that. Guaranteed there's loads of things that are wrong with this film or rather dated more than wrong. Uh, like I said, the space scene at the start of the movie, when I rewatched it, I was like, oh my God, I kind of blocked that out of my memory. They are not that great and they are super cheesy, but they're also very short. So it doesn't matter. You kind of forget about it because the rest of the film is so good. The special effect of the critters are really cool. You know, it's a little bit like the gremlins. The gremlins is puppets, but the puppets are still really, really cool even to this day. I find the critters are the same. I think they haven't aged that much. I wouldn't like to see the critters in CGI personally. They're really cool. The character development, you don't have ton of backstory but you do fall in love with the characters regardless, especially Brad. The other one, yeah, you do, you do like them. They are very attachable. Like April turns out to be kind of cool at the end. Dee Wallace turns out to be a bit badass and it's Dee Wallace. She shouldn't have any excuse. Like you should just be able to put her on screen and she's cool anyway. Charlie is really, you know, he's really nice as well. Like he's a bit of an idiot, but you do get attached to Charlie and his friendship with Brad is really great. So all in all, and, and really Brad, honestly, just Brad. So all in all, it's very enjoyable. I left out quite a lot of things. So, you know, I didn't want to give that many spoilers. So if you listen to the episode, then think, that's it, I've, I've got what I needed from that and I don't need to watch the film. I'd say still go and watch it because I can tell you what's happening in the film, but I can't recreate the mood and the ambience of the old film which is such a good, heartwarming mood. Even the horror bit, they just, they're just fun. It's such a fun watch. It's not a long film either, so you definitely are not going to waste your time doing it. So yeah, I couldn't recommend it more than that. It's not a masterpiece, but it's definitely a fun film. Grab a pack of crisp or popcorn and just watch it with your mate or watch it by yourself one day when you feel like chilling or maybe you don't feel that great or something like that and you will perk up honestly it's great 
Scare Factor, I'd say you're safe. You can go watch it. It's not terrifying. <laughs> Except when I think of when I was little, when I was about, I want to say maybe six or seven, this film came out on telly and I didn't watch it because I was a bit young by then and my parents wouldn't want to <laughs> me to watch that. But I saw the trailer on telly announcing he was going to show and all I remembered was this little furry thing full of teeth absolutely eating everything. And the trailer made it sound like it was extremely scary. And um, I was really, really terrified. And I remember in our TV program, there was a tiny picture of the critters and I asked my dad to cut it out because I was so scared I didn't want to touch the TV program. So because he's a good dad, he cut the picture out. And then he made it even worse because... Uh, this changed memory of what it was so already I found it terrifying at the time but I made it even worse in my head and every time I could see that cut out picture it was even worse and to this day I can remember it which is mad because actually when I first watched it which was many 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 years later because I always wanted to find what that film was but I didn't remember the title or anything. I had very little memory of what it was about. All I remembered was it was little furry ball that ate everything. So when I finally found it and I watched it, I was like, what? That wasn't scary at all. I just made it all up in my head because that's the way I am. But yeah, that was the little story, personal story about myself and the critter. I watched this film so many times, I can't even remember and I will probably watch it many, many other times. And before I end this episode, I just want to apologize a little bit because it's not as polished as I wanted it to be. The thing is, I just didn't have as much time as usual to prepare my episode and to edit it. It's not going to be like that every time, but yeah, if there's a couple of noises that usually wouldn't be here, like my crow shouting or me stammering or my cat passing by, you know, I apologize for that. Bonus point though, if you heard at the start of the episode, my cat sneeze and ring a bell at the same time, I even left it because I thought that was just such a beautiful combo. If you heard that, please message me to let me know about it. I'm actually quite curious to see if people can pick it up or if it's just me hearing all the little noises that shouldn't be here. So there we go. That's all for today. As usual, you can join me on Instagram at spookyrama.1 where I put like pictures, infos about the episodes to come and you can often vote for the next episode too between two films. So get involved, leave reviews, everything and I'll see you in two weeks for the next episode of Spooky Rama. Look out for the darkness, hold on to your soul It's a call of